91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. You're listening to The Grit on KBCS Community Radio since 1973. Governor Gary Locke served as Washington State Governor from 1997 to 2005. He served as the 36th U.S. Secretary of Commerce from 2009 to 2011 and as Ambassador to China from 2011 to 2014. Since 2020, he's been the Interim President at Bellevue College. Last week, Governor Locke spoke at Bellevue College about the future of U.S.-China relations. Thanks to the students and advisors for hosting this and to the business leadership community. Thank you for putting this on. Uh, And to APISA, the Asian American student uh, organization here, thank you very much for hosting this. But you know, when Nixon went to China 50 years ago, it's almost maybe 51 years ago, 1972, I don't think anybody could have ever imagined the huge transformation that China would go through in just a few short years. Uh, I think most observers, historians, sociologists, anthropologists would say it's the most dramatic social economic transformation the world has ever seen, where hundreds of millions of people have been lifted out of poverty, abject poverty, in just a few years. I mean, if you look at, um, um, you know, you look at China today, it is uh, a China with uh, virtually half of the world's tallest buildings, all the super skyscrapers are in China. Uh, the the Tong and bicycle alleys that characterized China even 25 years ago have given way to elevated freeways. Um, Audis, uh, the world's biggest network of bullet trains going over 200 miles an hour. I mean, since the Beijing Olympics, China has built some 16,000 miles of high-speed rail Trains going over 200 miles an hour. That's enough to crisscross the United States six times. And yet here we are in the Puget Sound region and we're building a light rail system that only goes 35, 40 miles an hour. And we will not have a light rail that goes from Mercer Island to Issaquah until 2040. 2040. And yet China has built 16,000 miles of high speed rail, 200 miles an hour enough to crisscross America six times. And we really don't even have any high-speed rail in the United States. You know, the, um, the, uh, uh, and at the heart of this huge economic social transformation is the rise of a middle class, in which now, in just a few years ago, only about uh, uh, maybe four, five, ten percent of the households in China were middle class. Now uh, it's almost three-fourths of the entire population and almost uh, 50% or a little bit more than 50% of the middle class living in the cities. And the upper middle class is expected to rise to almost half uh, the urban population in just a few years. Um, There are more than, uh, let me see, a million millionaires in China. There are more billionaires in China than there are in the United States. Uh, And of course, you're seeing so many of the middle class traveling all around the world and they're Uh, shopping in our malls, and they're at Costco, they're at Target, they're at Tiffany's, buying stuff because it's cheaper here, and then they can, even with the airfare, they then take it back with them uh, to China. Um, When Nixon first went to China, the amount of two-way trade uh, between our two countries was about $100 million. 
and very few jobs in China or the United States depended on that trade. Today, over a billion and a half dollars of trade each day, each day, going between China and the United States. And millions and millions of jobs in China depend on that trade and exports to the United States, and hundreds and thousands of jobs in the United States depend on that trade. So our economies are so interdependent and so intertwined. So much of what we buy every single day, whether it's a Target, Costco, Home Depot, Dick's Sporting Goods, Nordstrom's, made in China. Made in China. Virtually all the microwaves that you buy, whether it's Whirlpool, GE, Bosch, or whatever, they're all made in China. And so uh, our economies are so dependent on each other. Now what has really helped make the rise of the middle class and the lifting of people out of poverty in China, what has really made that possible was China being accepted into the WTO in which the, the countries all around the world reduce the taxes or the tariffs and the restrictions on Chinese goods coming into their countries. And so China began exporting and making things to supply the world, and that created jobs for the Chinese people. And that's how people were able to, to lift up uh, their wages and, and escape poverty. At the same time, the United States has, and many other countries, have received these high-quality, low-cost goods, which puts more money in our pockets. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, if you bought a cashmere sweater from Nordstrom or something, it might cost you over $150 or $200. Now cashmere sweaters are like $10, $15, $25, $30. So that means it, the, some of the stuff you buy is cheaper, which means you have more money left over for recreation, for travel, uh, to save up for college tuition, uh, retirement, buy a car, or, or uh, plan a vacation. But there's also been a lot of disruption to a lot of communities all around the world, including the United States, because of products that used to be made in the United States being made in other countries, whether it's Mexico, Taiwan, Korea, Singapore, or Thailand, and especially China. And the United States has not done a good enough job taking care of the people who used to make these products here. Not enough pro, uh, government support in terms of job training and retraining or helping uh, communities, cities, and people and families make a transition to a, a new way of life. And that's why there's a lot of resentment about trade. Now, when China opened up, when China was able to move into uh, other countries and, and uh, sell their goods, uh, there was a lot of expectation that China would also open up and allow American goods and American products and services to go into China. And that really has not happened. China has not really lived up to its promises and the assurances and the expectations that people had when these other countries allowed China to join the WTO. And these other countries lowered their restrictions and barriers to having Chinese goods coming in. So there's been a lot of resentment by people, businesses, workers, and government officials from around the world about China's non-compliance or non-follow-through uh, when it joined the WTO. And so uh, you have in many parts of Chinese society and economy areas that are off limits to, to foreign direct investment. The banking sector, I mean, uh, American banks, foreign banks cannot really offer products or services or do business and operate banks in China. But you have Chinese banks over here in the United States. Uh, in the oil and gas industry, uh, in so many sectors in China, foreign investment participation is not allowed. 
Where investment is allowed, it has to be a partnership between the US or foreign company and the Chinese company. And the Chinese company has to have, let's say, at least 50%, 51% ownership. And so the American company, let's say, works with the Chinese company, and maybe it's a, uh, an agreement to work together for 10 years. And after 10 years, the partnership breaks up. But in the meantime, the Chinese company has learned everything from the American company and doesn't need the US company anymore as part of the partnership and goes off on its own. And so there's a lot of resentment there. Intellectual property. Uh, you know, people can copy the Starbucks label and pretend they're, they're a Starbucks store. Or they can take an American product and copy uh, the brand name and, and the logo and pass it off as an American product when it's really not an American product. Uh, and, and the court systems there, uh, the judges are not lawyers. They're not trained as lawyers. And so uh, legal enforcement of intellectual property and trade secrets uh, is very, very uh, haphazard. It's not as sophisticated. It's getting better. They're trying to make their court system modeled after the US court system, but they have a long ways to go. Uh, and then the government favors the, the local businesses. Uh, they give tax, local tax money or government money uh, so that the uh, uh, Chinese companies um, can ap operate at a lower cost because they're getting all this government money, which makes it easier for them to compete against other uh, companies foreign companies, and sometimes make the Chinese products so much cheaper compared to the American or foreign product. Well, that's not a, a level playing field. We all believe in competition, but it ought to be a level playing field and let the best product, the, less, the best service, uh, win the day. So against this backdrop of huge frustration by foreign companies, foreign governments, toward the economic policies of China, and China not living up to what it had said it was going to do when these other countries lowered the restrictions so that Chinese goods could come in, which then benefited the Chinese people. There have been government efforts from around the world trying to say, what can we do to make China follow the rules? And that's why President Trump, a few years ago, imposed these tariffs on Chinese goods coming into the United States. Now, President Trump said that these tariffs are being paid for by the Chinese wrong. They're paid for by the American consumer. So when Dick's Sporting Goods orders all this stuff from China and it comes in onto the docks of Seattle, Dick's Sporting Goods or Nordstrom or Costco or Home Depot, they have to pay the extra tax. And then when it's more expensive for Costco or Home Depot or, or, uh, or Walmart. So what do they do? They pass it on to the consumer. The New York Fed uh, and the Wall Street Journal has estimated that the impact of these tariffs imposed by President Trump on virtually all Chinese goods coming into the United States is costing the average American household $800 more per year. So Americans are paying for this. You know, when you buy shoes at Nordstrom, when you buy a screwdriver at Home Depot, you're paying extra because of the tariffs. Now China retaliated against the United States by saying, okay, if you're going to impose a tax on Chinese goods going into ch in the United States, we're going to impose a tax on American goods coming in the United into China. So that made the American products more expensive to the Chinese people. And so that has hurt American companies. And they've not been able to sell as much overseas. And when you don't sell as much, you don't need as many employees. And so that has also hurt employment uh, for the American people. Now the funny thing is that Americans don't have much of a choice in buying these goods at Home Depot and Walmart and Nordstrom's or Dick's Sporting Goods. 
because virtually everything is made in China. So much of it is made in China. There's no substitute. Virtually all the microwaves that you buy are made in China, so you're going to have to pay that extra tax that's imposed, passed on by, by, the, by the supplier. But there are many substitutes for American products in China. The Chinese don't have to buy Boeing airplanes. They can buy Airbus. They don't have to buy American soybeans. They can buy Brazilian soybeans. They don't have to buy GE X-ray equipment. They can buy the German Philips brand. And the list goes on and on and on. So actually, it's been American companies and American households who have really suffered. President Trump had the right idea, the right strategy. He, had, he understood what the problems were. The objective was right, wrong strategy. Right objective, wrong strategy. Uh, what really should have been done is having a whole bunch of countries impose tariffs on Chinese goods. Because what is China going to do? Impose retaliation tariffs against the goods coming from all around the world? So what's happening is that you have the French and the Germans and the British and many other countries er hoping that America wins this trade war. But at the same time, their companies are getting all the business because the Chinese are not buying stuff from America, they're buying the German, they're buying the French, they're buying the British, they're buying the Canadian goods. And so we need to figure out a better strategy. So let me just say that uh, against this trade war, now we have all these national security issues. And there is, uh, in election time, you have Democrats and Republicans trying to outdo each other in terms of who can be perceived as really tough on China and, and uh, vilifying China. And as a result, during the COVID crisis, you had people, uh, President Trump and members of the administration, saying this was the China virus, the Wuhan virus, the Kung flu virus. And so uh, as a result, you've seen a lot of people, um, Asian Americans, uh, being victimized um, and uh, uh, being the object of hate crimes. Um, you, know, you can't tell a, a person of Chinese ancestry from a Korean ancestry or Japanese ancestry. And so Asian Americans have felt the brunt of all this rising violence. And it doesn't help when you have political leaders who are just vilifying anything and everything uh, uh, Chinese. Uh, we have a lot of companies in Silicon Valley that were, that are, that were started by Chinese Americans. And yet they're being ostracized and they're almost being boycotted. There's a whisper campaign, oh, you shouldn't buy that product uh, from that uh, company because it was founded by a Chinese American um, and maybe, you know, these guys are really spies uh, for, the, for Beijing. You're having a lot of prosecutions against scientists and researchers at American colleges and universities uh, who are arrested at 5 o'clock in the morning at gunpoint, hauled out of their homes, handcuffed, um, and, uh, and, uh, or even arrested in their government offices, accused of spying for the Chinese government or passing on sensitive information, only later on to have the ch charges completely dropped because what they were doing was available over the internet. I mean, sloppy investigations where the judges have to apologize uh, to, the, to the defendants uh, and saying that the American government treated them uh, poorly and wrongly. So it's against this climate that we find ourselves in a really tough political situation. Uh, and now it's not just on national security. You know, people talking about banning TikTok. Um, there's even proposals in Texas that if you're of Chinese ancestry, but you're not a US citizen, you're not a US citizen, but you're of Chinese ancestry, you cannot own land for a house or a business. You cannot buy a home.
you will not be allowed to buy a home. Even if you're a shopkeeper and you, you want to buy a piece of property to have a mom and pop grocery store, you will not be allowed to buy land. Same proposal being uh, in Florida. Proposal by a member of the United States Congress to say this applies all across the United States. This is very much like the Asian Exclusion Act or the alien land laws of the turn of the century uh, when you had laws passed by the various states that said that basically people of ja Japanese ancestry and Chinese ancestry could not own land. And that was actually true in the state of Washington uh, up until about, uh, I think, uh, uh, the late 1940s when those laws were repealed. So yes, America has huge political, national security, military differences with China. The policies of the People's Republic of China. But we need to make sure that we're not blaming the people of China or people of Chinese ancestry, Chinese Americans here in the United States for the actions of a government. We need to keep those two things separate. Uh, because we've got to remember that America is really a land of foreigners. Except for the Native Americans, we're all foreigners in this country, whether we're first generation or tenth generation, whether our ancestors came on the Mayflower, a slave vessel from Africa, or a steamer from Asia. And it's been that generation after generation of new people coming into America with different ideas and values and cultures and languages and religions that has created this, uh, this dynamism, this energy uh, of America. So, um, you know, we need to appreciate the diversity that is here. And yes, we will always have disagreements with other governments, whether it's the British government, the French government, the German government, the Israeli government. But we should not take out our differences with those governments on the people of, of that same ethnicity. And so um, um, I, I, I think that this, we're entering a very dark period in U.S.-China relations. It's gonna, I'm not sure, I think it's going to get worse over the next several years before it can get better. But it's really going to depend on people like you uh, spreading the word about the contributions of Asian Americans and all ethnic groups to our society uh, and uh, trying to understand the history and the culture of all countries. You know, what works in America may not work for another country. Certainly the political legal system of France is very different from the political and legal system of the United States. Um, we need to understand those differences and appreciate them. Try to bring the best of all other parts of the world to America and hope that with all the international students that we have here, that when they go back home, they'll also be able to bring some of the best of what they've seen in America to their native countries and to help their countries grow and prosper and uh, be more free and open. So anyway, uh, I've talked long enough and uh, I'll open up to any questions that you might have. Uh, I've been involved in civil rights for Asian Americans for maybe 30 years or so. And um, so, as you know, uh, Asian American Studies courses were canceled here at Bellevue College during the pandemic. Uh, do you have any idea when those classes will be coming back? Well, actually, we had a class this spring. So uh, I don't think it was canceled. I think we were able to get those re resumed. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's offered on a, I think it's, uh, uh, live, high, uh, live, uh, uh, live virtually, and so um, you know, I, I, we're we're absolutely committed to offering those courses. Yeah. So they were canceled in 2020. So they were offered this current spring term. Yes, they were. Okay, so 
Yeah, so we didn't have them for about three years. Yeah. Um, weren't they offered last year? I don't believe they were. Yeah. One quarter a year. Yeah, that's been the way it's been for several years now. One quarter a year. So I was, yeah, I just want to raise the question because, of course, um, there are a lot of Asians here on the Bellevue College campus. There are a lot of Asians here in the state of Washington. And of course, I was quite aware of the cancellation of Asian American Studies courses here um, during the pandemic. Well, let me just say that my understanding is that uh, even though we've offered the course for this spring, uh, the sign-up has not been all that robust. So we're offering it, but the students, if, if the students don't take it, um, you know, we have to evaluate whether or not we continue to offer these courses. Certainly, if, if, they're, if the sign-up uh, enrollment is low, there's no way we can offer twice a year, more than once a year. So well, I, I think there's, so I, I don't want to take up yeah. the mic. So, yeah. But thank you for your response. Okay, Appreciate thank you. Okay, uh, so as you said, with, in regard, with the Trump administration, a cut saying tariffs on, Amer on Chinese tra trade of American goods and all that stuff. So, but so with the Joe Biden administration, to my knowledge, they recently got gone into moving American fa moving factories into domestic American factories such as semiconductors and things like that. And would you see that as a, ref a reflection of less of a like a Reagan sort of a, a sort of methodology of trying to just economically force China's hand politically, or, or not force China's hand, or force it, its systems, or is this more of a signal towards a more militant approach to to towards China from the United States? Would you say, say anything like that, or just any comments on it? Well, first of all, uh, President Biden has continued the Trump tariffs. He has not removed or relaxed them. Uh, and in some ways, he's actually gone farther by restricting the sales of high-tech U.S. goods and products into China uh, that might uh, be, that could be used for military applications or as components in military equipment. And they've even gone further than that, saying uh, U.S. companies cannot sell equipment that could be used to make some other equipment or, or items that might end up in military uh, hardware. And so he's, uh, President, the, the Biden administration is really trying to cut off China from having access to really high-tech uh, goods that could be possibly used in military equipment and depriving China of, limiting China in the ability to even make some of this stuff. So US companies are being really restricted in terms of what types of material they can send over even equipment that is used to make other things. Um, and uh, so at the same time, uh, the administration is, you know, we, we know that China's gonna be a competitor, just as Germany is a competitor in so many things. Um, and so what the Biden administration, with the support of the Congress, Democrats and Republicans have done, is really trying to bring a lot of this advanced manufacturing from around the world back to the United States. Um, and in fact, that's something that American, uh, American society really needs to, to promote. More fund, government funding for research and development at our colleges, universities, research among companies. They should have tax incentives to constantly innovate and create. Uh, and we need to bring some of those good paying, high tech manufacturing jobs back to the United States. Uh, and so the, the, the so-called CHIPS Act has tax incentives for advanced chip manufacturing. Uh, a lot of our chips now are made by ta Taiwan Semiconductor in Taiwan. They export also to other parts of the world, including China. T 
Taiwan Semiconductor using this tax incentive is hoping to open a big factory uh, uh, in the United States. Uh, many companies that are making solar cells are now using this tax incentive to locate uh, their jobs here in the United States. And that's good because no country ever wants to be dependent for so much of what they use on one other country. Uh, we saw that during the pandemic when so much of the protective gear that we relied on was coming from China. But China was being shut down because of COVID and their factories were closing and yet we needed the equipment here. And we were so dependent on everything coming from China. And, the, and China doesn't also want to be dependent on high-tech goods from America either. So they're really promoting the development of a high-tech industry within their borders. And so it's important that all companies have a supply chain from around the world, that, we're, that America is not dependent on chips coming from Taiwan. We're not dependent on um, pr uh, protective gear just from China. Um, Nike wants to spread out their factories around the world. And so this decoupling uh, and diversifying supply chain is actually a good idea. But the part of the strategy of the United States, fearing the rise, the competitive rise of China, especially in high-tech military type um, equipment, is restricting what US companies can do in China. And we're also trying to develop our own capability and improve our own sources here within the United States. So, all right, thank you. Right. Yeah, next question. Hello? Yep. I've been hearing a lot of rumors that China will take military action against Taiwan. And if that does happen, what will be the immediate fallout due to things like the semiconductor industry being so prevalent in Taiwan? Well, I, you know, it would be terrible if there was a war uh, or military action uh, by uh, uh, Beijing against Taiwan. It would destroy, I mean, you see what's happened to Ukraine. Um, and uh, Taiwan is about 100 miles uh, from uh, the mainland and so easy to send missiles and artillery shells um, uh, over into Taiwan and that would destroy, kill so many people, kill so many people, but also destroy a lot of the businesses uh, and companies, high-tech companies in Taiwan that in fact sell their stuff to China that China depends on. So it's uh, any type of military conflict between China and, uh, and uh, Taiwan uh, must be avoided at all costs. Uh, and I think what most people fear is that uh, a war could break out, not by design or on purpose, but because of an accident between, let's say, two pilots whose planes, you know, they're jockeying and they're trying to, you know, uh, out-macho the other person and say, you give way, I'm coming through, you know, you, you, you turn away. Uh, but the planes collide and someone dies you're gonna have an armed conflict. Someone's gonna retaliate. And then it gets, spins out of control, and it's too late. You have two ships approaching each other, and you know, the captains are saying, no, you, you veer to the port, port side. And instead, you know, it's almost like you know, two cars coming down the road, who's gonna play chicken first, right? Who's gonna turn away first? Well, neither one does. You have a big accident, Someone, some crew members die, and then there's, uh, you know, the navies get involved and they start shooting each other and then it spins out of control. That's the thing that, that I think most of the military people uh, fear the most. Um, uh, an armed conflict, not because it was done on purpose, but because um, 
you know, it was never planned. And so um, that's why it's so important that we try to lower the temperature and uh, ha have constructive dialogue between all the, the players within the Asia Pacific region um, and making sure that uh, people understand what they're doing, that if it's a naval exercise, that there's advance warning, that people are not caught off by surprise. So. Thank you. Next question. Hey. hey, thank you, Governor Locke, uh, for your <coughs> excuse me for your succinct but very comprehensive uh, context about U.S.-China uh, relations, uh, which gives us uh, a very good context of understanding, you know, what's going on and where we might be going. But before I ask you uh, my question, uh, I have a little commercial here for the wonderful Telos program of uh, Bellevue College. And if you go onto the webpage of that, uh, of that program, underneath history and current affairs, there is a course, a non-credit course on U.S.-China relations. It talks about the uh, past 50 years of U.S.-China relations from Nixon's time uh, to current. And it just goes into the depths of what Governor Locke uh, has just talked about. So my question is, uh, where do you think the current leadership of China is taking the country? And also, secondly, uh, secondly um, do you th uh, what do you think about Biden's China strategy? I sit down and listen. Well, in terms of, of the Chinese leadership, um, uh, I think President Xi Jinping has c uh, tightened his control over China. He's now uh, been able to change the Chinese constitution to have basically a presidency for life. Um, and with no term limits. Uh, he, uh, and, you know, he's really focused on maintaining power and central power. He really wants to uh, bring China back to its historical preeminence in the world. You know, China has a very proud tradition and history in which, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it was viewed as the most advanced civilization on the earth. Uh, but because of the policies of some of the previous um, um, rulers of China, um, as well as wars with the, the Western powers, uh, and, um, um, and the inward-facing uh, policies of some of the past emperors, China has declined. And, uh, you know, uh, China got rid of its big navy. Uh, it did not modernize and open to the West, and so it became very backward uh, uh, economically. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, right now everybody's concerned about all the drugs and fentanyl and the ingredients coming uh, from China that is used to make uh, illegal drugs. Well, over 100 years ago, uh, China was resisting, the, it was the West, the Western countries who were trying to sell opium into China, all right? And the Chinese government was trying to stop opium from coming in, and there was a war with the Western countries. And China, because it was weak militarily, lost. As a result, you had all the Western uh, countries from Germany and France, the United States and Great Britain occupying various parts of big cities of China, like Shanghai. And actually, those foreign governments controlled different districts of Shanghai. And China has never forgotten that. They felt very humiliated. And then, of course, the Japanese invaded very easily 
uh, prior to World War II, and, and uh, uh, that was a source of great embarrassment. So everything that China's been trying to do over the last 20, 30 years is to really try to prove to the world that it's come back. You know, they put a, a man into space. They had the Beijing Olympics. They're building all these high-speed rail, the tallest skyscrapers in the world. It's to showcase to the world that China is coming back. Um, and so um, the, the, the problem, though, is that Xi Jinping really wants to uh, unify the country, bring Taiwan back into, um, uh, into part of the mainland. Um, he's basically uh, nullified the agreement with the British on uh, independence or uh, autonomy for Hong Kong, uh, and the list goes on and on. Um, he's consolidated his power, and he's uh, 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 reduced, minimized opposition to him by saying, uh, by having an anti-corruption campaign. Uh, there's a lot of corruption in, in China within the military and among local government officials, and so he threatens people by saying, I'm going to bring you up on corruption charges if you, uh, if you uh, disagree with me too, loud, too, too loudly. You know? And uh, so that scares a lot of people into being very silent. Um, so uh, let me just say that with respect to, uh, uh, and, and as a result, there's, there's not much uh, innovative thinking among local government officials. Everybody is so afraid of what might happen uh, and the edicts and the rulings coming down from Beijing that they are not creative, they just do what they're told, uh, and sometimes they're just paralyzed and don't do anything. And we saw that during the pandemic, COVID pandemic, in which local government officials were uh, not really sure how to proceed. And even just, you know, just w uh, within the last year, these lockdowns of cities in which whole cities were shut down, people could not leave their homes. It was because they did not have direction from Be Beijing. They did not want uh, COVID to get out of control, so they came down with a very uh, heavy-handed approach because uh, they, they, they don't know what Beijing is going to do to them if they try to be different, creative, or take a risk. In terms of uh, President Biden, um, I think he's continuing uh, these policies toward China. Uh, they're trying to be a little bit more strategic. Uh, they're not rolling back the Trump tariffs, even though those were very broad-brushed, um, because right now with the election coming up, he doesn't want to be perceived as being soft on China. Uh, and if anything, he's being even tougher, but doing it in different ways by identifying certain types of machinery and equipment that cannot be sold to China. So, another question or comment? Yeah. yeah. Another question? Yeah, we have a question oh, from, yeah. uh, okay. from the audience and the virtual audience. Yeah. Uh, so uh, does China have any plans towards uh, uh, relations with North Korea? North Korea. Well, North Korea and China uh, depend on each other economically. Uh, North Korea is a very, very poor country, and so they depend on a lot of things coming from, uh, from China. At the same time, they, China buys some uh, products uh, from North Korea. Uh, so uh, they are, in some ways, allied. But China is not happy with North Korea and the way it's conducting its uh, foreign affairs and and uh, uh, shooting off missiles, uh, developing a nuclear weapon. Uh, China is not afraid, is not fe feeling threatened by North Korea. They're not thinking that North Korea might launch a nuclear attack against China. They are afraid. China is very concerned, however, about what the governments might do to North Korea. 
they don't want South Korea, for instance, to invade North Korea. They don't want Japan or the United States to try to bomb North Korea to stop North Korea from developing a nuclear weapon. Because then that would bring, because if the North Korean government is toppled and you have a democracy there instead, you're going to have a democratic country right on the border with China. And that's not what China wants. So China very much wants to solve the problem of North Korea. And they're really trying to encourage the Western powers to enter into dialogue with North Korea to stop the, de the development of a nuclear weapon. Because they fear, fear that, China fears that the, the continuation of development of a nuclear weapon long term risk military warfare or action on the Korean Peninsula, which could destabilize China. I mean, they're not afraid of North Korea doing something to China. They're more concerned about the West taking action against North Korea in response to North Korea continuing to develop a nuclear weapon. And they don't want the West, South Korea or democracy, somehow taking over North Korea and being on the border of China. So they actually see North Korea as kind of a buffer between a democratic country and their country. Another question. Yeah. So, so this question is about uh, economy. So as you can see, there's a lot of inflation in the United States, like uh, the ice cream corn in McDonald's has raised to $1.69. Like when I was first time in America, it was like a dollar, something like that. And also the shutdown in the past three years because of COVID and also the Federal Reserve raised the discovery like a couple of times in the past few years. So what do you think the economy is how it's gonna go in, in the like next decades. Well, maybe you should ask the people in the business transfer program about that, because I'm not an accountant or a financial expert. Obviously, uh, the US government and all the different institutions are trying to control inflation, uh, and they, they don't want a recession, so it's a really tough uh, situation. Um, and uh, I, I think that you know, we're seeing inflation cooling down a little bit, um, but high interest rates can also stifle and hurt people, you know, whether you're paying back uh, a car loan or trying to borrow money to get a house or a condo or something like that or even pay for your college education. So high interest rates are not good, but we also need to uh, try to stop uh, the, uh, the runaway growth of the economy and make sure that it's in balance uh, and that we don't go into recession. That's really hard. Uh, let me just say that... Um, as much as we have problems in our economy, China is also having huge problems. Uh, I was just talking with someone who says that the unemployment rate among college graduates in China is double digit, double digit. Uh, and that can lead to social discontent within China. Uh, and of course, you, you know, with COVID, COVID has also impacted the economy of China. Uh, and the, the, the financial problems all around the world also means less demand People have less money in their pockets to buy things. And so if they're not buying things, that means they're not buying things that are mostly made in China, which then means the factories don't need as many workers. And then people are out of work. And uh, so that has huge implications. And then you have the unemployment among the college uh, graduates as well. And so um, the economy is fairly fragile in China and has really slowed down. And uh, that's something that the Chinese government is watching very, very, very carefully. 
That's the one thing that the Chinese government is most concerned about, maintaining the domestic peace, maintaining domestic tranquility, um, and making sure there's no protest, whether it's on uh, counterfeit food or counterfeit baby formula uh, or environmental problems. They're very, very concerned about a, you know, a, one protest over some issue that gets that gets bigger and bigger and bigger in which other grievances are added on and people end up protesting about all kinds of things and then creating an, almost another Tiananmen Square. Now, that is the one thing that the Chinese government is most concerned about, maintaining domestic peace, which is why Facebook and Google and uh, all these social media are not allowed in China because they saw how social media was used during the Arab Spring uprisings to overthrow dictatorships. And that is something that the Chinese government officials will never allow uh, to occur uh, within their territories. Yeah, next question. All right. You know, we're just in the respect of time, we're just going to answer about two or three more okay. questions. Okay, and I'll try to keep my answer short. Great. <laughs> um, so. Yep, you're on. Yeah, I was just wondering that China has the largest population right now in the world. I was trying to figure out, because like in the recent past years, they've been trying to reduce the amount of growth in population. So I was just trying to figure out how the population in China kind of correlates to the economics. Yeah. yeah, you know, China for a long time had a one-child policy. Uh, and with the growing aging population, they are now concerned that there will not be enough active employed workers to pay the taxes and to support uh, the programs for the elderly. And so China has gotten away from its one-child policy, is encouraging uh, couples to have at least two children. But because of the high cost of living in China, they're not being all that successful. Uh, so China is looking at a huge demographic population uh, uh, crisis. Um, and uh, um, so that, that's a problem. Let me just say, because um, I know our time is limited, America and the United States have huge fundamental differences with China, whether it's on their economic policy, whether it's intellectual property enforcement, whether it's unfair Chinese government subsidies toward their companies that then put all other com uh, companies from around the world at a competitive disadvantage. But China also has issues. I mean, we have issues with China over human rights, whether it's on Tibet, whether it's Uyghurs, or even the treatment of Hong Kong. Despite all these differences, we've got to figure out a way in which the two countries work together. Take climate change, for instance. China produces more greenhouse gases than any other country in the world, but they also have the largest population. Americans produce more greenhouse gases per person than any other country in the world. So between the two of us, we're really bad actors. All right? And, you know, the, if we can't solve uh, climate change, the whole world is going to be affected. And, and maybe 50, 100 years from now, uh, people will not care about the incredible, uh, will not, well, 100 years from now, the world may just blame both the United States and China for taking us over the precipice of irreversible climate change. And they're not going to give a hoot about all the great contributions and inventions that China has made to world civilization over thousands of years. The printing press, the compass, seismograph, gunpowder, uh, the clock, and everything else. And they're not going to care that America is a beacon of freedom and hope and opportunity and democracy if the whole world is, is uh, 
uh, facing irreversible climate change. That's why it's so important for the United States and China to work together because some things cannot be solved by the United States alone. If the United States were to dramatically reduce carbon emissions but China does nothing, our sacrifices mean nothing. If China were to make incredible reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, and they're doing a lot, and we don't follow suit, their efforts will be for naught, and the world will still blame both of us. The list goes on and on, whether it's solving the issue of North Korea, climate change, finding a cure for the next pandemic, and there will be another pandemic, or finding cures for cancer and other dreaded diseases, or fighting global terrorism. The world is looking for leadership between both the United States and China working together. We've got to figure out how we can address these issues, whether it's human rights or um, um, you know, uh, uh, national security, in a way that does not stop us from cooperating on these things that the world is demanding of these two countries. Uh, was there another question up there? Yeah. Hi, sir. I'm from Kyrgyzstan, the country in Central Asia, mm -hmm. the borders China. I would like to ask about influence of the United States in Central Asian region. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I think you're seeing China trying to expand its influence by offering all kinds of assistance to other countries around the world. This is something America used to do many, many years ago. We had, right after World War II, a really robust, strong foreign aid program helping other countries, building hospitals, building roads, uh, helping clean water, uh, putting in clean water systems, uh, and building schools and things like that, to try to help lift other countries up. We've stopped doing that. And as a result, China, with all of its wealth, is now stepping into the, va into the vacuum and developing political friends around the world. They're also loaning other countries a lot of money. Some of these are on very bad terms. And when the countries can't pay it back, then China actually takes over like a port we're almost like parts of a city. And so some of these other countries are beginning to say, whoa, we better rethink some of these loan agreements um, because they're not really good for our own countries. But nonetheless, China is stepping in because the United States has really stepped back. And even you'll hear from members of the Defense Department in the United States, the generals and others saying, the key to our uh, defense superiority uh, and our ability to respond to world crises is having friends. So you actually have people in the defense agencies saying the United States should spend much more money on foreign assistance to other countries. So, yeah. Any other, another question? Was there a last question? Yeah, go ahead. Also, what do you think about Siberia in Russia and the Chinese in Siberia? Yeah. Well, I don't know that much about what China's doing in Siberia, but let me just, uh, it does open up this issue about what China's doing with Russia in terms of Ukraine. So China is um, uh, buying more stuff from Russia, and that helps Russia because uh, if Russia, well, with all the sanctions that the West has imposed on Russia uh, and not, uh, uh, not allowing, uh, with many countries of Europe not buying their oil and natural gas, um, and, and cutting down on buying things in general from Russia. Um, Russia needs that money to pay for you know, building bombs and missiles and, and uh, ammunition uh, that, it's used, that it is using in the invasion and the attacks against Ukraine. So China is willing to buy that extra oil and gas. China needs it. Uh, they need that oil and gas to heat up the homes in the countryside. 
to generate electricity for the factories that they're trying to, uh, to have operating within uh, China. And so there's China, by buying all of this, and, and India is doing the same thing, uh, buying a lot of natural resources from Russia. That's income for the Russian government to pay for their war effort against the Ukraine. I don't think China is going to directly sell military equipment to, um, to Russia, because if it does, the entire, I think all the Western countries will impose huge sanctions on China. And that means uh, all this Chinese material will cost a lot more money and people will stop buying. I mean, so, you may not have a choice because so much of what we uh, do every, use every day comes from China. Uh, but if, if it costs a lot more, people are going to cut back on their purchases. And again, if people buy less, things made in China, the factories make less. If the factories in China are making less, they don't need as many workers. And that means higher unemployment, which means a lot of people very upset and angry. So uh, let me just say that uh, China is walking a very fine line with respect to what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. They, no they typically support Russia. They're not really great friends, but they're always siding with them in a dispute. Um, but here they're taking advantage of the oil and gas that Russia must sell. So they're actually getting it for a cheap price. And uh, so it's, it's, they feel like they're benefiting from this. But I don't think that you'll see them directly aiding uh, Russia in the military fight against Ukraine. Great. And, um, we're, we're at time. So um, thank you so much for uh, speaking on this, uh, Governor Locke. Well, thank you to the business leadership community and PISA. So thank you very much. That was Governor Gary Locke, former Washington State Governor, former U.S. Secretary of State, and former U.S. Ambassador to China. He currently serves as interim president at Bellevue College. Governor Locke spoke at Bellevue College last week. The event was sponsored by the business leadership community and the Asian Pacific Islander Student Association. Special thanks to the Bellevue College Digital Media Arts Department for this recording. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.